welcome to a special bonus episode of National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And boy, do we have a special guest for you. Oh my goodness. I... (laughs) (laughs) There, There are no words. There are only... Screams? Ooh, ooh, I like what you did there, Emily, I do. Actually, it's really funny how this episode came about because we confirmed the interview while we were giving our spring 2023 National Treasure Hunt tour, like as we were walking. We did. It It. It was, uh, it really made the day even better than it already was. But uh, if if you're interested in our tour or anything else that we do, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. Um, we're also available at nthuntpodcast.com where you can, like I said, find out literally like everything about what we do. Um, please order our book, National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy at tuckerdspress.com. And we have a new Patreon with three fun tiers named after three really important characters. So go ahead and check it on out and join one of our tiers. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. All right. So we know y'all are wondering how this episode came about, how we got the pleasure of speaking with none other than David Diane Fisher who plays Ian's main henchman, or as David will tell us, bodyguard named Shaw in the first National Treasure film. Well, Shaw's been a pretty important character for us here at National Treasure Hunt for a while now. As you probably know, he is the inspiration for a very, very special segment that we lead off all of our regular season episodes with called Screams from Parkington Lane. So recently, during late season six of National Treasure Hunt, uh, Emily, you and I had a really fun conversation about some of the non-principal cast members in National Treasure and the second film. You know, who are the actors who played them? Where are they now? Etc. And one of the first people we wanted to talk about was still a pretty important character, and that was Shaw. And um, I don't know if you knew I was going to do this, Emily, but... After putting out that episode, I took the liberty, if you will, of contacting David on Instagram and being like, hey, come talk to us, please. And he was so kind. And he said yes. And that's how today's conversation came to be. Yeah. Nothing surprises me anymore with you, Aubrey. I mean, I feel like I should just expect this uh, at this point. But I mean, thank you for doing that because... Like you said, it led to us being able to have a really fun conversation with David. Yeah. Um, this might be one of my favorite interviews we've done to date. I know we say that a lot, but these interviews just keep getting more and more fantastic. And this one, y'all, I was actually crying laughing multiple times during this conversation. It's true. She was wiping tears from the corner of her eyes quite frequently. (laughs) I really, really was. And so what are you going to get from this episode? What can you expect to learn? Well, one of my favorite tidbits, you're going to learn a secret story 
a hilarious story involving David and his co-star Sean Bean and the one and only Centennial Bell at Independence Hall. You will also get a little insight on how they filmed Shaw's fall into the one and only Parkington Lane Pit, which does not exist in real life. (laughs) And of course, we had to ask him about the sequel to National Treasure because he sadly was not in it. Um, And we learned that he tried talking his way onto the cast list for Book of Secrets, and he'll tell us a little bit about that as well. All that and more coming your way in a few short seconds. Please join us in welcoming David Diane Fisher to National Treasure Hunt. You know him as the most memorable henchman from the National Treasure films. After all, no one's life is more valuable to Ian than Shaw's. David, welcome to National Treasure Hunt. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Wow, what an intro after 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> we we do our best. But, you know, we do like to start any of these conversations with an opportunity for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to be an actor, and what else you're up to today. All right, firstly, I'm wearing the cast and crew National Treasure hat, which is 20 years old, which I've kept in mint condition and I'm very proud of this. I, I don't wear it out often. And when people do, they go, is that a national treasure hat? And they go, oh, my God. And so it's kind of asking for trouble when I wear it. Um, what am I up to? Well, I uh, I was 28 years old when I found acting. And I always wanted to do something that was fun and always wanted to continue new playing when I was a child. And everyone was very serious in business. And then I found acting at 28. I'd done numerous businesses and I just threw myself into it. And I knew I had to come to Hollywood. But when my family dog passed away, I then moved to Hollywood and and uh, did commercials, pop videos and little bit parts here and there. And I think from the very beginning, uh, I'm not sure what age I was when I got National Treasure, maybe 34. So it was a good six or seven years before I got that big break. And um, so that started, I think, about 15 years of solidly working on and off. It was a it was it was a wonderful journey from then onwards. I mean, that on its own was an incredible journey. Um, and since then, I kind of walked away from acting into seven years ago. I left the city of Hollywood and left acting and came to live in a canyon called Topanga. And I've been writing movies and books ever since and painting. Um <clears throat> Everybody keeps asking me if I'll go back in. I I, I kind of had enough of dying and killing for 25 years. And that's really all I did. And I went on a, I suppose you could call it a spiritual journey, which was to release all of my anger and angst and um, all the disturb that was in me that helped me play with all those parts. And uh, my representation said Hollywood loved me so much for being the bad guy that it was virtually impossible to get me to play anything other than the bad guy. So I decided that to break that and to to walk away from it and start a new maybe sometime later. So in between then I moved to this canyon and I studied something called spiritual psychology, which is just an uh, understanding of the um, emotional and mental self. And I continue that work and I continue to write and continue to paint. And that's where I am right now. I just finished writing my seventh movie, 
which is a very sweet love story, very far from the, yeah, but two, two love stories I've written this year, and I've got romantic comedies and adventure movies. So, right, so that's that's where I am up to now. Um, I won't say I will never act again. There are um, roles in my movies like um, Psychiatrist, which I would like to play, something with a little bit more more heart. Well, would you, I don't know, would you come back as Shaw's ghost in National Treasure 3? That's really funny you said that, because when I knew that they were doing National Treasure 2, I I still stay in contact with John Turtletaub, the director. So when the second one came, I said, you need to write me in as Shaw's twin. He said, you're dead. <laughs> I said, okay, okay. What about Shaw's ghost? He said, you're dead. I'm like, oh... I said, well, you can write the character and I'll come in completely disguised in a nu- and no one will know that that, no, you're gone. You're not playing anything in this movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I- well, I maybe we think- can, uh, <laughs> maybe we can make some, we, we've talked to John um uh-huh. on on the pod maybe we can uh make put it a some... good word yeah put it a good yeah, word a good... i'm sure i'm sure john will give you exactly the same answer no he's dead <laughs> <laughs> um so but before your character died you mm-hmm. y- you were alive and that means that you, David, had to land the role of Shaw in National Treasure. So how did you get that role? Like, what was your audition process like? And did you have any information? Um, I, had no, I had no information. I knew that it was, uh, uh, I, I knew that I think it was a Brockheimer movie. I did not know that it was Nicolas Cage. I, you know, I was auditioning for big roles here, there and everywhere. You don't really know the scope of anything, you know, when you're going in, you might be told that it is a Bruckheimer movie. You might be told it's a Disney movie. So I literally, I think there was three scenes. I was as well prepared as I could be. Um, I know that there was, this is what Turtle Tale told me. I think there were 75 people that auditioned for the role. And I mean, that's, it sounds like a lot, but you most probably had however many agents and managers trying to get their actors in and only 75 get to walk in the door and give them their stuff. But you're talking for a role like that. Everybody wants to be in that kind of a movie. Everybody wants that kind of break. So just to get in the door and be put on tape to show your stuff to these producers and directors is a, is a great thing. And, I, you know, I did the audition and I won't go into it. I remember it very, very clearly. I walked out thinking I did not get that because the, the casting director after certain scenes would then give me kind of a very stern berated marks and comments. And I'd be like, OK, you know, could be a little nicer about it. All right. OK. So we would re- yeah, we would re- we would redo it. There was one scene which wasn't actually in the script in the end. Um, where me, Sean Bean's character and all the bad guys were in a restaurant. I think maybe it was set in Philadelphia and we were supposed to be having a covert conversation in a restaurant about stealing the Declaration of Independence. So this was the audition. And, uh, you know, in the audition, I start leaning into the casting director who was playing um, Sean Bean's character. And she stops in between the scenes. She goes, what are you doing leaning in? I'm like, well, 
you know, we're in a restaurant and we're talking about stealing the Declaration of Independence. I'm not going to sit back and talk about it. He goes, just don't do that. Just talk normally. Now, the actor takes in the scene. The actor knows where he is and what he's doing. And I thought, all right, for this audition, I will pretend that no one in this restaurant gives a damn that we're about to talk about stealing the dick. So I just sat back in my chair and I thought, I was only doing the right thing, you know, this is covert, so we're going to lean in. So I found that, and then there were, there were other things as well. And so I walked out, <clears throat> and I thought, oh, okay, you know, it went okay. But then, uh, you know, Turtletub said, we saw your picture, we brought you in for the audition, and we'd seen your tape, your reel, and, you know, it, it, you were the one. He said, I think there was a... I'm trying to remember this rightly. It was producers from Bruckheimer, producers from Disney and him. And they decided to choose their top three. They had three headshots each and they sat there and they go one, two, three, turn over your top one. And they all turned me over. So I was the choice. That's amazing. So that was a, that's a really nice choice to hear how that, <clears throat> how that process was, was done. Oh my gosh. That's, I mean, that's got to make you feel pretty good. And yes, 75 to, people to compete with from the, from the get-go <laughs> sounds very daunting. So, well, we, we personally think you did a phenomenal job. We are biased as huge fans of the movie, um, but we don't feel bad saying that whatsoever. Um, once you got the role though, were you given any backstory for your character and I guess whether or not you were given formal backstory, did you create any in your mind uh, to kind of inform how you played this particular bad guy? So I get a I get a script, and then I go to I think we first all met in Washington. That's where the nothing is shot in sequence. You know, it's it's so we first go to Washington where there's a table read where there's all of the all of the cast and uh, John Teltab and producers and. Uh, after the table read, the, the original script, which I have somewhere, which is very different um, to is it, it, every day there's new pages. Every day it's altered. It changes. This is whether it's TV, network TV, everything always changes. So I then have a meeting with John Turtletab and he asked me how I feel about the character. And they had the understanding that I'm not sure if it was put in a character description that he was the top henchman and immediately I said no he's not just a henchman I said he's not just there to do the dirty deeds he's there to protect he's there to be a bodyguard he's there to do everything and look after his boss he's not just there to kill people um, and I remember very distinctly um, this making a, an impression on Joe Todosar because it's true you know, to 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 have someone be your right hand man, they have to be. That's why, you know, when I did die, you could see Shaw was, you know, I was there. I was his man. I was there to look after him. So I didn't know when I said that, that after I said that, I basically cemented myself in virtually every scene with my with uh, um, Ian. And I, I wasn't in so much more. And I'm going to tell the truth. My character was not in the movie as much as he ended up being in the movie. Did not have the amount of dialogue he had. 
And I could only think that the very fact that I remember very distinctly the reaction of John Taylor, but I said, no, he's he's Ian's right hand man. He's there. He's always there because anything happens, he's there for him. He's there to do there and be there. And and I remember I, I if I had been that devious to think, how do I get myself in the movie more? How do I say more <laughs> things? That would have been the perfect thing. But it was really that's what I thought about my character is, you know, Ian is, I, I you know, I, I also said that I was SAS trained. You know, I'm not just a bad guy. I have SAS training, a special forces, which is SAS, which is, you know, English special forces. So he's very, very well trained. Um, he's not stupid. He's not just a dumb henchman, a murderer. He's a very smart human being. So that was... You know that was my initial understanding when I went when I went into it and how I would approach it. You know, Shaw also ended up. I don't know if this was always the case or if this was something that developed or even if you improved any of this. But Shaw had some witty comeback lines too in response to Riley early on, and and things like that, um, which to me also demonstrated a higher level of intellect than a traditional quote-unquote dumb henchman you know yeah uh he he, he there, there was uh, okay the, he did not like riley <laughs> um that saddens but, me to hear but it's fair from the characters perspective. yeah he he didn't he, 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 he you know i think it assisted in in the tension um and uh i i i the lines were written the way they were written there were certain lines I'm gonna. I I have to be. There were there were certain there was okay. There were some lines that were written, or not improv, but were written because I asked, "What if I said this? Oh. What if I said this?" There was a scene that happened. There was a scene. Um, there was a scene that happened, and uh, there was a bit of a, a stop filming. I'm not going to go into it, and we we're uh, okay. What what are we going to do now? Because uh, there was a bit of an issue, and uh, it was really quite incredible. I was in a trailer with Nick Cage and the producers and Brockheimer and John Turtletab and the rest of the cast. We were all in there because we were stuck. And I put my hand up and I said, "What if I say blah 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 blah?" And they went, "Write that down." And someone wrote it down. The next day, my words were on the page. And uh, I think it ended up being one of my lines, which was delivered, which saved the day because we had stopped filming. And I think it was half a million dollars a day filming that bloody thing. <laughs> yeah, even, even back then. So um, so most of the lines were, were written, as I said, you know, one day there wouldn't be a line. The next day a line would come on the page as I'd walk into work. OK, I've got that to say now. So that's how it goes. Um, but yeah, they, I, I like the fact that they put... Uh, the tension between me and Riley and and he really you know he Justin is hysterical he's a very funny human being Nick is also a very funny human being there was a lot of giggles making that movie and I like the fact that um my character and his character were polar opposites yeah um, it just it just created that dynamic and tension absolutely and especially because you know Ian's number one is Shaw Ben's number one is Riley. It makes sense that there would be. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. Ben's number one is right. He he was his number one on tech and his 
confidant and his sidekick to a yeah. degree. Yeah, I suppose he was. <laughs> well, I mean, Abigail throws a wrench in things eventually, but I don't know. Riley, Riley and Ben have more history there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, this also. Oh, sorry. Um, I was just gonna ask really quickly. You know, you noted how much the script was changing. I also wonder if you remember. Were there any scenes that you ended up filming that didn't make the final cut that you recall? You know, it's really funny is when I got this news that I was in this movie, I, of course, phoned London and told my mother and told all my friends. And my best friend's sister, of all the people, turned around and said, oh, well, you'll most probably end up on the cutting room floor. And I went, oh, thanks. My big break. And now that's, you know, that's a naysaying. And... There's a, the audio you do after you finish a movie. You do that. You add the audio. If the lines didn't come out, you go into a studio and record. Every scene I shot made it to the made it in the movie. There was nothing that got cut out. It was it was like wow. I was going in there, going, I wonder what made it and what didn't make it, and everything made it. Um, so I was very happy about that. Amazing. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, um, I've heard stories of people being in huge movies you know, getting little breaks, not even the size of the part that I was in. I was sixth on the cast list, which is pretty, pretty substantial. And then they end up going to see the movie and they're not in it. And that's devastating because no one told them. So they go to a premiere, take their family mm. and they're not in it. So yeah, I was very, very pleased to find out that I would say 99% of what I did just stayed there. Wow. Mm. Well, I mean, so you you mentioned that, you, you know, when you when you told John Turtletop that you were, you know, you were Ian's right hand yes, man, yes. that you ended up basically being in like most of the scenes <laughs> with him. Um, Do you have any favorite memories of working with Sean Bean or any of even the other like henchmen um, or any behind the scenes things that our listeners would love to I hear. Could, I, I could, I could talk forever about that movie and behind that scenes, but I'm going to tell you the greatest story, which I say is a now American history. So independence hall, which is the most famous building in America. We were of course up in the bell tower of independence hall which we were informed only a handful of people in history have been in that bell tower. Wow. What an honor for a start, you know, to, to be allowed to be in that bell tower. So the Liberty Bell used to hang in that bell tower. Now it's a centennial bell. And the Liberty Bell, as you saw in the movie, we, we went, there was a scene where we were on the ground with the Liberty Bell. Anyway, so Sean and I are up in the bell. We've done a lot of filming up the top there with the cameras. Now they were shooting from the bottom. And we had a walkie-talkie where they would cue us. And it was, um, it, yeah, the cameras were at the bottom shooting me and Ian in the bell tower. I think it was when we got to see uh, Nicolas Cage and, you know, oh, he's over there kind of thing. But from, from the camera view from the ground. Anyway, so they turned the bell mechanism off all the, the mechanisms, so the bell wouldn't ring whilst filming, so it wouldn't interfere in the middle of a bong. So they turned all the mechanism off. There's me and Sean Bean. Now, this is American history. This is the 
the Independence Hall. This is the Centennial Bell, which is massive. It's a massive bell. And Sean Bean goes, let's ring the bell. And I'm like, how are we going to ring the bell? So he says, no, 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 no. So you like, wedge ourselves into the brick and we put our legs against the thing and we start moving and momentum, momentum. And there's two Englishmen in the bell tower. And all of a sudden this bell starts. It took a while to get it to sway because it was so heavy. It starts swaying and rocking and swaying and rocking. And, I, and here we are. And then suddenly it goes, dong. And we both moved our legs away. And like little children, we're like, oh my God, we just rang the, the bell. No one in history has ever rang this bell by hand because it's all on a mechanism. And now two Englishmen, two Englishmen <laughs> ring it. And the man who was in charge of Independence Hall comes running up into the bell tower. And he goes, did you hear the bell ring? And we're like, no. He goes, I could have sworn I heard it ring. And I was like, I know, we're here. How could it possibly ring? He says, yes, I turned the mechanism off. I could have sworn I heard it ring. We're like, no, you know. So How's that rang. something you could have not heard ring? <laughs> like, how did he believe He did that? hear it ring. He did hear it yeah, ring. He <laughs> believed you? He believed But how could he, how could, listen, it took two grown men, all our strength, with our feet wedged against this bell and our backs wedged against the brickwork to get this thing. I didn't think we could do it. It's it's a couple of tons, this bell. Yeah. So uh, it's only because it's hanging, you know, that you manage to get uh, momentum going. So he couldn't possibly have even imagined that we could have done that because it's a hell of a thing to have done. And we did it. And uh, it's it's like... Who's rung that bell manually in history? Two Englishmen, two actors in national treasure. And very few people know that story. So that was a wonderful aspect of, we felt really cheeky and very naughty and really proud to have done something in that bell tower that no one had ever done in history. Because that I don't think that bell could even have had a pull mechanism mm-hmm. because it's too big. That's the whole system of that clock and that bell were uh, all on a mechanism of wheels and cogs wow so that was pretty astounding that is an incredible story thank you so much for sharing yeah. that i'm like so, sitting here like wiping tears out of my eyes i'm <laughs> laughing so hard and, and and we were we were two like two little boys at first i was very nervous and then i when we put our feet on it i thought there's no way we're going to move this and then when it started moving we were like two little boys going oh my god we're doing this but we didn't think we'd get enough momentum for it. But when it did ring, we literally just t- took our feet off it and giggled because we felt very naughty. And uh, and it was, yeah, it's perfect. Fair like, enough. Yeah. What a what a bonnet. What did you know Sean Bean beforehand, or was this no, your first time? No, no, that you know what's really funny is I didn't know Sean Bean. I'd known of his work and where my parents lived in London, Sean had a house in the same road. So that was really quite funny. So we we frequented the same pub and he knew my area and he knew where my parents lived. And and so that was that was just kind of quite quite a synchronicity. But no, I, I didn't know him personally. And uh, I would say Sean was one of the sweetest, most unassuming, unaffected humans. It was an absolute pleasure to be with. And we spent a lot of time not filming, going out for dinners and going out for drinks. Is uh, really, really. Um, I'm trying to think of the English phrase, but yeah, he's a, a diamond. 
That's awesome. And I, well, I learned, sorry, I learned from literally just being with him and how he acted and how he presented his character. I think I learned so much just from him that I have utilized in virtually every job I've done. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's a great testament. Um, something that I've noticed from this conversation so far is you seem pretty well-versed in history. Is is history something you've been interested in throughout your life? Was this something prompted by National Treasure? You know, National Treasure is a history lesson in itself. And of course, while we're there and we are an independence hall and wherever we go, we are learning more and more. I mean, Sean and I being Englishmen, you know, we, we studied a certain amount of American history in, in England and growing up. And uh, but making that movie, we got to hear more and more and learn more and more. Mm -hmm. Turtle Tab would tell us more and more for sure. I mean, he he was so well versed in it. He had to be to know all of that. But no, I, I've, I've not been a history buff at all. Um, but, I, but I do know that, you know, it was uh, I think whenever it comes to July the 4th, I always say to people down with the Brits. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the anti-British day. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Um, we actually, obviously, 4th of July takes a very special meaning here on our podcast. And we're really excited because this year we're spending 4th of July weekend, Emily and I, at uh, the National Archives. We recently published a book on National Treasure and we're doing a book event at the archives and we're so excited about it. Um, but anyway, I digress. We we do know that one of the really distinguishing factors about this franchise is the production team's desire to film on location wherever possible. Um, and so being able to be at Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell Center and the USS Intrepid just in the first movie alone um, is amazing for the viewing audience, it sounds like, as well as the cast. But I'm wondering if you could talk at all, if you have any other reflections from, you know, filming on location versus, you know, the more traditional set filming, which also happened in the movie. Uh, I mean, number one for an actor on location, you put up in a lovely hotel. So it's kind of like, wow, this is nice. And you get to, not every day you're filming, so you get to do a bit of touristy stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, okay, you're not, you're not filming this morning, you're filming this afternoon, you're not filming tomorrow. Oh, okay. So now I get to go and see all the things in Philadelphia, in Washington, in New York, get to do some, uh, you know, uh, excursions and investigations, which is, which is very different to, you know, when you're working in a studio in LA, which I was living in LA, it's just like going to, well, it's not like going to work because when you enter into uh, any Hollywood studio gates, it's very special. You you see on some of the sound stages you work on what movies have been shot there and what history, cinematic history has been there. And it's a, it's a very proud thing to be in production wherever you are, whether it's location or in the studio. So location is amazing you know getting to be running through the streets of philadelphia and stopping traffic and they're all stunt drivers and we're actually on the streets of philadelphia and you know running through the market where that was an actual market and there were stunt people that i could bump into and knock down if i wanted to and you know and to get to do the stunts they wanted to do on the streets and 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 then you go into the studios where they built that final tunnel where shaw falls 
and you see the art of set direction and you see them recreate things uh, that I don't know why we couldn't film at them, but you know, they see the, the set design and then you see the final polished product of seamlessness that no one has a clue what was a set and what wasn't a set, you know, the, 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 the inside the Charlotte, oh my God, we were in 14,000 feet up for the exterior shots. They built the exterior of the Charlotte up in Utah, 14,000 feet up. The, the location was unbelievable how they got that together so high up. I mean, there was altitude sickness that we were dealing with. And, uh, you know, the explosion that happened was astounding. They blew that thing to pieces. And that was an astounding thing to be there and watch. I think I've got the video of us watching it somewhere. And then, uh, you know, being, I'll say it because I can say it now, the interiors were shot in an ice factory in downtown LA, right? But they built this, they, they hired the ice factory, they cleared it out, they turned the temperature way, way down so that when we spoke, we had the, you know, they didn't have to add that. It was so freezing. And they built all of that interior set in this ice factory. So we were dressed in all these thermals and all these clothes to go into the building and do the filming. And then we came out, it's like 85, 90 degrees and we're all stripping off, you go in and out all day. I think a lot of people got cold. So, you know, being in, in a, uh, an extreme set in an ice factory is, again, it's astounding to see what Hollywood can create. And it really is fantasy land. So being on set, being on the studio lot and being on location, I don't think I could say one is better than the other. You know, there's 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 wonders about all of it. Oh, that's amazing. Um, something that you you mentioned about the when you were in the Reading Terminal Market and there were, you know, uh, like other actors there that you could like run into and stuff if you if you so chose. Mm. Um, did. Did you do most or any of your own stunts? I mean, I'm assuming based I, on that, you ran through Reading Terminal Market and bumped into people. I, um, I, the, the one There was one person in Reading Market I bumped into that basically was a slow extra. And they got they they got bumped and it made the cut. Let's just say that. I, I, re, I remember and I when I watched it, I was like, well, it was... It was, I really, you know, a part of me wanted, got a little bit irate because they, with, I don't know what take it was, but they knew I was running through. I knew they knew that, and they got in the way. And so I think I, I kind of, as nice as possible, barged them out of the way, but it, it, it made the cut and it looked really good. Uh, when we were running down the street, one of the streets, I had marks that I knew I could run into and bump into which was kind of like, I'm going to do this on purpose because it's going to look good, you know? So right. I, they said, look, these people are, so if you want, you know, don't worry about bumping into them. So I would purposely pick people to bump into just so that it looked like he was going straight for it, regardless of the public. And there was a scene where I ran across the road where again, they wanted the stuntman to do it. And I can't remember my stuntman's name. I was friends with him for a while. And I just, he would just, you know, walk me through it. And he'd go, go for it. I got have a cup of tea. You'd, I did everything and anything I could. So oh, running, yeah. across, running across the road. Um, and I think one of the ones were, you know, when I'm shooting out the back of the truck 
and I'm hanging on. So that they, they had me wired to the back of the truck just so I wouldn't fall out. So when this truck was driving down the street and the doors are open and I'm shooting, I'm hanging out the back of that truck and I'm shooting. Cool. And I love that. And here's a great one. So we would shoot the scene. There'll be a, a camera truck. Then we'd have to cut. We'd drive around the block to set up to come back and do it again. However many times they do it again. And because I had this stunt wire, I had a whole brace and the stunt wire was wired to the front of the truck. Literally, as the truck was driving with the doors open, I would hang, hanging out with my arms splayed at the back, at the back of the truck which is really crazy, but I just had this safety harness. So I would just be like flying out the back of the truck. You were like doing a Titanic there. Yeah, yeah, I was doing a Titanic. So, <laughs> um, you know, the I wanted to do the fall at the end. And now I'll, when we get to that, that, there was many aspects of Sh Shaw's fall, which is quite incredible. Um, but they wouldn't let me do the stunt because it did mean the stuntman actually fell about four stories onto airbags. But Annie had a, a, a harness which slows his fall down so that he doesn't have too big an impact. So but the, there were OK. So firstly, I'm walking. I think I'm in front of Nick Cage. And what is done is a, I'm spoiling movie magic here. So we what love it, it. There's a close up. I think Nick is in the shot, and all I have to do is walk and then duck down. So I fall out of shot. Now, uh, there is another aspect where me falling is a digital me. So I now have to stand uh, on, uh, and there's an incredible camera which shoots me digitally. The guy's taking Scott with this incredible camera that shoots and shoots and shoots and shoots, and it did. You know when they make uh, action figures of whoever? They make look-alike action figures, like Barbie dolls, but looking like. So they do this. They make a 3D image of you. And so this camera would go around me. I would stand on this thing, and it would basically capture my image so that there would be me dropping out of shot, then there would be the stuntman falling, and then the digital version would take over, and you'd follow the digital version. So that's how that was all put together, which was really quite incredible. Wow. Yeah, I know, I know. And Travis, Travis was my stuntman. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how many times he fell, but I was definitely there watching me fall by him. Um, I'm trying to think what else there was. Um, oh, when we were all in the back of the truck and the truck's like bouncing around and you see us all bouncing around. We stupidly decided that we will go in the back of the truck and that would be fun and we would do that. <laughs> and they set up on the roads all these things that when the truck would go over them, which you saw in the film, it would Bounce. shake it up. So we were, it wasn't a set. It wasn't like in the, in a, in, it, we were in the back of the truck. We all decided we would do it. And when this truck went full speed over these things, and as you saw in the movie, everything flying we were in there being rattled around and it was kind of like, oh, this isn't as much fun as we thought it would be. And it was literally hold on and things flying around and not <laughs> being held down as fast as as, as as sure as we thought they would be. So that was pretty hairy. But again, at the end, you know, you go, Phew, OK, we got that. I mean, it looked great. 
oh my goodness it was crazy <laughs> it was really crazy it was literally just being bounced around in the back of a truck without any harness or anything so it was just hold on for dear life that's amazing i wonder if that would fly today i feel like that wouldn't happen today. Uh, I, I i don't i don't know if it would fly today i think maybe everything would be you would definitely be um more padded up than we you know they, do you want pads or not pads now nah, i don't want pads should have had pads <laughs> No, and I think maybe something like that would have definitely been a lot stricter than it was. Um, it was pretty safe. It was just, you can't stop things. Well, you can if you tie tie things down with wires, everything, everything, you know, but that's also very consuming. It could have mm -hmm. been done, could have been done before filming. So I can't rightly remember now if there was any other memorable stunts done, but um uh, oh, standing on the ship when I'm uh, pretending to video and talking to Nick, you know, I can't remember. Oh, um, it's the line about Edison. Edison, yeah. Right, there you go. And and they had that helicopter, like right right above us. That was real. That was real. They brought in a helicopter, right? And and you know, okay, now I just remember this. So number one, they said, you okay with that? We can bring the stuntman. And I'm like, no, nah, it will be all right. It will be okay. Because they said, you know, it's going to be a helicopter literally five feet from your face. <laughs> and um, and uh, so the first take, which is really funny, is uh, I got the camera, Edison, did you know Edison? And all of a sudden the helicopter's coming and this piece of newspaper just goes <laughs> onto my face. Cut. So now, like, Shaw's got newspaper stuck to his face because of, and so uh, that I just remember being really happy and glad when they got that shot because that helicopter, you know, number one, we're on a ship and it's 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 moving, you know, and it's very close. And there was a very very famous accident that happened in Hollywood many years ago about an actor and a kid getting killed from a helicopter accident mm -hmm. so that was you know all right i'm doing this but anything can happen at any moment um so even though it was just standing there with a helicopter i consider that to be a stunt because it was pretty scary yeah, yeah for but sure I, I wanted i wanted to do everything i could possibly do because you know you don't get chances to do these things and if they'll allow you to do these things and you know there are stunt coordinators and stuntmen there to yeah, okay. So I was like, yeah, I want to do it, want to do it, want to do it. That's amazing. And honestly, I just have to say, I don't know how often you rewatch this movie, but your memory of all of your experiences is incredibly impressive given how long ago this was now. <laughs> Let's put it this way. When you have put your heart and soul for eight years into going to night school, going to improv, doing theater, going to to classes, reading, studying, doing plays, doing bit parts, doing, and then you land this role, which is then your dream. It still, um, uh, it was just the most amazing experience. You know, when people would say, well, so we were up in Utah and we had to run away from the Charlotte before it exploded. Mm -hmm. I think so. You know, like run, run. Now we are running fourteen thousand feet up, uh, depleted oxygen in snow, uh, thigh deep, 
So you try even walking normally in 14,000 feet and you'll get exhausted and you'll get um, uh, uh, whatever, altitude sickness. And so we would run and then John told her, we go, cut, back to first position, we're going to go again. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just exhausted and people are like, hold on, I feel sick, you know, and like, I'm running and then run again to cut, back to first, do it again, do it again. Dave, are you okay? I'm fine. I am so happy to be here. I will run and run and run all day till I throw up because I am so happy to be here. Do whatever, ask of me, whatever. That's what my motto was. I will do anything and everything. I'm so glad to be here. That's so cool. Oh my and gosh. I, I never, ever since then, I've always, I never took any day of, of shooting for granted because it is, it's an honor. It really is an honor to to be working as an actor, as a working actor, and especially you know, on a production, we had no idea how the movie would come out, but um, we knew that it was a big production. So, um, you know, I remember, it's funny when people speak to me, all of a sudden more and more, but yeah, now I'm going, wow, I do remember, you know, an awful lot more than I, I think, but no, it was a, it's a definitely imprinted into, into me. Um, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And even now, you know, just talking to you guys, but every now and then when people recognize me, it, it gives them a lot of joy and it makes me realize, you know, people write to me, oh, you're on the movie. It's on, it's on, it's on. National Treasure's on. You just died. It's on. It's on. It's like, <laughs> it, it is. Uh, and I hear that apparently schools play it a lot for the children. Oh, yeah. Because of education. So, you know, and I don't mean this truly, but, it, you know, I am part of, American history and the national treasure. I am a national treasure, and yeah, I, you I'm are exceeding, exceedingly proud of of that time because it was a pivotal time in my career as well, and it was so much fun. That is that is so heartwarming to hear. Uh, it really, really is. As people who we grew up with these movies, we both first saw uh, the first National Treasure when we were in like middle school, and it was things that we bonded with our family and our friends over. Emily and I were former college roommates. This is a crux of our friendship. It, and we're just two examples of so many people. You know, not just around the country, but around the world who have similar experiences, and the fandom is still just so persistent today, which really is a testament to to the quality of what you all were able to create. So anyway, um, I could I could get- I know, so you just sparked a memory of the night, it you know, they sometimes put a new movie when it premieres, they put it on, not premiere, but when it comes out, you can go to the 12 o'clock in the evening before it comes out the next day. So me and my girlfriend went to a Hollywood movie theater to go and see the audience reaction because we'd already already seen the premiere and we'd already been to the cast and crew. So I wanted to see what the public thought. So as we're going into the movie theater, Robert Dowdy Jr. was going in to see the 12, 12 o'clock at night performance. And I'm like, cool, okay, okay. That's a good sign. That's a good sign, you know? And I was like, wow, look, uh, you know, and I, as I sat, purposely sat at the back of the movie theater to gauge the audience on when they laughed at Riley and when they gasped or whatever. And when I died, the whole audience cheered. And I was like, yes, yes they, they dislike me that much that they love the fact that I died. And that means I did a great job that the audience cheered when I died. And and uh, it was just a, a really ironic thing. It was like, yes, they cheered because I died. Yeah. 
Oh my god. Oh, I love that perspective. Seriously. And you know, I I have played uh, a lot of bad guys and in some very very big TV shows and when people would see me on the street or see me somewhere, they would curse me, shout at me and curse some really nasty things and I would take them as compliments because it meant that they disliked me that much. Yeah, they bought the it. Fact, the very fact that they still think I'm the character is a little crazy, but I would, I'd be places and people would shout at me and I go, thank you. Thank yeah, you. You absolutely. Know, I well, I mean, that leads, uh, leads me to my next question, which is, um, as I think we mentioned to you, your your character's death in National Treasure is actually very significant for us here on National Treasure Hunt because the concept of falling into a pit, uh, which is how Shaw dies, um, really inspired a segment that we have on every episode of our podcast that we call our Screams from Parkington Lane. We we share examples of how national treasure pops up in our daily lives, claiming that we too have fallen deep into the national treasure pit. So since since you are really the inspiration for this part of our podcast and you're here with us today, I feel obligated to ask, can you share a scream with us how national treasure has popped up in your life? It's every time I meet someone or someone comes up um, and, 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 and just compliments me on it. And you, you really see how they enjoy and love this movie still. And uh, uh, I, it never diminishes how wonderful a contribution I've been to that. And it's humbling. It's really humbling um, to to know that you've affected people, you've entertained people, and you've given people um, a part of you, because it is, you know, the actor gives so much of himself. Um, yes, he gets paid, but it is a, 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 a huge giving um, of the self. And uh, that's a better pay than the money. It's, it's, it's really sweet. I mean, like I said, these people... Well, I know these people in my neighborhood. I've known them for six years. And for them to suddenly go, um, when we found out you were moving in around the corner and we found out who you were, they said, we were so excited because we love National Treasure. I was like, I've known you for six years and you've never said anything. So they got down to sit there and admit to me. Mm -hmm. And they did this. They just decided to ask questions. And so I got to sit with them over lunch and 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 they 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 text me after and just said oh my god oh my god that was just the most wonderful thing to, to hear that because they've kept it quiet for so long so but i'll tell you you know this obviously there was no scream when they filmed it so we go to do adr the recording of words or whatever and i would go to walk in to do the adr in a recording studio in in i'm not sure which stage it was maybe universal and John Voigt's coming out and, you know, we give each other a hug. I mean, I, I just adore being with that man. He's so much fun, like a child, just such an incredible spirit on set. Really, really quite amazing. And and he leaves and I go in and, and John to, I said to John, I said, I haven't done this before. This is, you know, I've done TV, but for some reason I never got called in to do this. And he said, well, you have to match what you're doing on screen with the words you said or what we're going to add in i'm like okay he said it's not that easy and i'm like well it can't be that hard you know you're gonna... <laughs> and and i i did really really well i did really really well my first time of adr and he said right we want you to scream like you're falling and i'd not seen 
it all put together. This was the first time I got to see the fall with me stepping out cut to the stuntman cut. You don't know, it's flawless. And so I literally just stand there in a recording studio, watch me fall and go into how would I feel? Free falling to my death. And that comes out, you know. <laughs> and that's what he's doing in a studio with headphones on. <laughs> again and again and again. And, you know, then they go, okay. <laughs> and then we put it all together. And, uh, but it's really, it's really kind of embarrassing because you're just like, all right. And you do though, you, 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 you the, I, I remember very distinctly going, how would I feel? Yeah. It's not a nice feeling. That was, that was, that was actually a good recall because it, it suddenly came back to me. But I remember, you know, this is the actor's job is how would it feel free falling to your death? And it's, it's it, you know, going into those places and going into those spaces, whatever you're doing is, uh, all right, wow, all right. So regardless of how tough Short was, however much training he was, when you fall, that all goes out the window because you're losing your life and it's, doesn't matter, you're dying. Yeah, so, very human. Human, harrowing, uh, you know, it, 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 it you, you lose it, you lose you lose all composure, you know. I, I've done that before in a horror movie and, and it was take after take of being eaten alive by flies that went in my eyes and I had to wail and scream and, and it was, it's really a, a die, imagining your own death and, and dying is, is uh, but really it depends how deeper you want to go. Wow. Yeah, but I, I remember being in that studio and, and and literally going, okay, you know, they know, they know. I said, give me, give me a moment, give me a moment. So I have to think about, you know, I'm walking along and I'm gonna, I'm this tough guy, I'm, I'm sure, and I'm walking and I go through what we did and now I have to think, and imagine, and the floor literally. You, number one, there's. The, the initial thought is I'm walking and now the floor is gone. And I, that, you know, have you ever been on a bar stool and you lean back and that bar stool suddenly, that moment, that moment never ends. So yeah. that moment where you grab the bar and you stop, oh, but that adrenaline. So and now imagine that moment just continues to an extreme where you can't grab hold of it. So that's what I take myself to. Yeah. Uh, in the studio, and then that's where the scream comes from. Gotcha. Wow. Um, you know, it's all, oh, come to the studio. You what? I screamed. Yeah, no, it's not just a scream. There's, wow. there's so much that the actor, if he wants to do the right job and wants to get it right, that he starts living those moments of, well, okay, okay, this is what it would be like for me, how I would imagine it. And it's, uh, you know. Wow. Well, thank you for being that, yeah, vulnerable and, and sharing that with us. I think I guess speak for both Aubrey and I when uh I say that we are always extremely impressed when um the the actors that we talk to put so much of their 
like heart and soul into everything that they do uh so thank you for doing that with with this character uh because that does mean a lot to us um to kind of bring us back around uh (laughs) into uh happier happier well maybe not because i mean okay so my well okay so my question is <laughs> did you end up watching the sequel national treasure Two: book of secrets and the reason that i asked that or i i preface it with all that is because like you, you told us that you know you, you would ask john if you if you could of course it. of course i went to see it i don't actually remember it. i think i only saw it once so i'm going to be honest about that i enjoyed it um uh, you know for me it was nostalgic to see the crew back together again to know uh, no it was okay well uh, you know it was a second movie i didn't didn't it wasn't me so i enjoyed it um it wasn't the first it wasn't uh, you know i i i didn't see it again because it just hasn't come up i don't have a tv i don't i don't watch anything so but I did enjoy it. I was very intrigued to see what are they going to do next because mm-hmm. you know, National Treasure is just a brilliant map put together of clues and and wonder. And just being part of that was, uh, you know, I remember, you know, just as we went through the movie, us piecing it together ourselves and just thinking, bloody hell, this is quite incredible. What a, what a treasure hunt. So I was intrigued to see how they would match that. And I think they did a really good job. Because it was a hard one to beat. It really was. That's a, um, you know, I think it's uh people ask me what, you know, it's kind of like Indiana Jones meets James Bond meets this meets that. There were so many things that National Treasure, you couldn't really pin it on anything. Like it, it was very much on, on its own, you know, a treasure hunt meets James Bond meets this meets that. Um, but it was, I said it's like a contemporary um, Indiana Jones type thing. Yeah. You know, we we really feel very strongly that um, people who like to criticize it because they are not Nicolas Cage fans or what have you, they, they don't really give it the credit that it deserves because of the complexity that it has. Um, and so we we try to overturn that, that sort of perspective on our podcast on a weekly basis, really. <laughs> Listen, for someone, again, for someone who worked with the crew the cast worked on the first one to be able to watch the second one and be entertained and enjoy it um that's me suspending my belief which is greater than anybody else's belief because you know i I know these people and i i was in i was involved in the journey just as much as anybody else and i and i did enjoy it so critics naysayers you know you can't stop them. It's just—it's actually a reflection of them and who they are. Um, uh, you can't make all the people happy. I mean, you know, when this National Treasure came out, they panned it. They panned it, and it was—it was so funny to read the reviews and how they slated it and this, that, and the other. And it was, oh, you eat humble pie. Oh, oh they eat humble pie because this is a is a classic movie. Yeah, you know, it's a classic American movie, and and. Um, so what people say, whether they don't like Nick or whatever, you know, I mean, and it's funny. I'm going to give you a, a, a really funny, uh, it's not funny. I always tell this story. I'm gonna, I've got this, there's a, this, I was sitting with Sean Bean and Nick, not sure whether it was lunchtime. And I was talking about where I am. This is my break, but this is, you know, where I am in the movie is really important to me. And I was like, but you know, I'm not you, Nick. 
And he goes, oh, you want to be Nick Cage? You want to be up here? He says, you don't want to be up here. He said, you need to take the journey that's going to take you up here to be Nick Cage. Because if you haven't taken that journey, he said, they're going to try and knock you off from up here. He says, if you are crap in this movie, they're going to knock Nick Cage off. If the music's crap, they're going to try and knock Nick Cage off. He said, so my journey that got me to be the Nick Cage that you know has created balls that big that I can handle being up here. He said, you do not want to be up here where you are now. He said, enjoy this journey, this learning curve. He said, because it's hell up here. It's not what you think. And I got to experience what it's like to be, we were on the streets of New York and they didn't have the security that they thought they would have. And there were a lot of people on the streets when we were doing some of the scenes. And the, the tiny amount of security that there was just wasn't good enough. And all these people surrounded Nick and Sean. And I wasn't far away from them. And I was looking in their eyes and there was terror because anyone at any moment, doom, knife, whatever. So I'm like, hey, you want to you be ready for that amount of fame where anybody and anyone could come out of the crowd, come out of anywhere? It's like, that is scary. So that was a very humbling thing to hear Nick say just, Enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey. Don't wish to be anywhere else because you are you are an apprentice. Now, regardless, you are an apprenticeship for your inevitable future. If please God, you make it to become as big as Nick was then, you know, that's not something. I think people's understanding of fame is very, very, you cannot understand what it's like for your, your life to become public. Yeah, it sounds like really good advice. It's it's even on the level of whatever celebrity notoriety, fame, recognition that I had when I was on NCIS, on National Treasure, whatever I was doing on 24, to be somewhere as David, and all of a sudden someone comes up to you to talk to you, you don't think that I'm David the actor, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, right, hi, shh your whole life can be disturbed at any moment, wherever you are. And it's just, it's very, very odd dimension to live in. Now, of course it gets, slowly but surely you get used to it, but I don't think you'll ever, ever get used to the fact that there are crazy people out there. Um, so yeah. Um, it's a, uh, yeah, anyway, I don't know why we got on to that, but, but yeah, the, the, the journey of, and that, that movie taught me an awful lot in many respects. That's really incredible. Well, we do want to start wrapping up the conversation because it sounds like we could talk to you for hours and have infinite stories told, but we okay. we won't do that to you today. Maybe we'll maybe we'll we'll have you come back if you're interested in the future to tell even more behind the scenes stuff. But for now, okay. let's start wrapping up. We always like to kind of conclude our conversation um, in part with our National Treasure Hunt speed round. So this is sort of a this or that first thing that comes to your mind sort of series of questions um you can elaborate on your answer you cannot elaborate whatever you want so are you ready for our speed round yeah go for it all right if you could play the role of any other character in national treasure who would you pick wow um i i i, I ian that's good yeah um favorite quote or scene from the movie
in the in the in the um I, I, I don't want to well in the in the um the hull of the Charlotte um just before the the flames go off because there was so much attached to it um in 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 yeah the 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 dialogue between me and Sean Dean and Nicholas and and Justin was uh it, it was it was a very pivotal moment where we all went from friends to that's it mm-hmm. that's when it switched and there was a, a very delicate you know play on we were figuring out the pipe and the clues to all of a sudden we're the bad guys yeah and that was a, 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 a and that scene being shot and i'm gonna say this me Nick, Sean, and Justin had the giggles for 25 minutes. And John Toto goes, he kept on cutting because we kept giggling. We don't know what we were giggling about. It's like that perfect blooper. It never they didn't shoot it. And John said, All right, I've had enough. When you two, when you four can get yourselves together, I will come back. And we for 25 minutes. For 25 minutes while trying to film, we couldn't stop giggling. Like belly laughing, hurting, crying. And every time we went, okay, we're okay, we're okay. And this is during those scenes. We're okay, we're okay, okay, action. <laughs> it would just burst into laughter. So that oh scene was so pivotal because it took us from friends to enemies very quickly. And it was it was so serious and it had to be orchestrated right. And at the same time, it was so silly. Mm-hmm. And we don't know why, but yeah, I love I love that scene because it, it, it there was there was a lot of tension that happened very quickly, you know. There was a silly line from Shaw that was he kind of went because it's a prison, it's you a know? prison, and that line I didn't want to deliver like that. And John Turtletub said, "I want you to deliver it like you're no, it's a prison, you know. I'm I'm right." And he said, "I want you to act like a little child." And I'm like, "Really?" He said, "Just do it. It will get a laugh." And it did. It really worked. And so, you know, that moment of of us trying to figure out the clues all working together to Ian expressing, look, we have a past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's and, awesome. And then Shaw just steps forward and it just switches. And it's that's that's it. The whole mo- that it moment is what changes the movie. And that's the race between them who's going to get it first and and so that was a for me as the actor and I'm for I don't know you know it was very pivotal that this was played right so there's a very very great memory of you know this is this is this is great it just goes yeah awesome yeah. awesome that's a great answer how about this favorite location or set the set was the the tunnel it was six seven stories high it's insane wow. it was insane all of it was real everything you saw virtually apart from you know how but it was it was it was really tall really tall very 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 high up so and that was you know walking those staircases were rickety wooden staircases and you know at certain points we were harnessed because it was scary wow. so that was amazing because they built the whole thing it wasn't all CGI or green screen. It was only my fall, which made it look mm-hmm. ridiculously deep. Uh, so that was amazing. And location. Uh, 
I think it had to be somewhere in, in... yeah, uh, again, Independence Hall. Yeah, I thought you might say I was going to say, I had a feeling. <laughs> Independence Hall was just, you know, I never would have thought in my life, because I'm a different person now, even then, that I would be that honoured to be doing that and in that building. And, you know, we shot, there was a, we shot an awful lot in there, but there was a, the 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 signing room where the declaration was signed, I think for some reason, maybe because we ran out of time, we couldn't shoot in Independence Hall. So in Knottsbury Farm, there is a mock-up of, and so we went there and shot that part of where we found the goggles and there's a discussion in there. So, um, but being in, in that building, also just being in the building and being a tourist going, wow, standing in the room where the, in, the Declaration of Independence was signed and knowing that the forefathers of America were all in here, it's kind of like, I'm getting paid to do this? No. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, de definitely Independence Hall. That makes sense. All right. My, my next two speed rounds are sillier questions. How many yeah. lemons is the appropriate number of lemons to keep in your refrigerator? It's funny you say that because I just found one lemon right now, but you know, I would have maybe six. Six. Okay. That's a, a good yeah. number. Yeah. What is, um, what is one word that you would use to describe FBI agent Sadusky? Cunning. Cunning. Okay. I like that one. Mm. Um, and my last speed round question, I know the answer, but I just have to get it on the record. You have to choose National Treasure or National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <Yeah. laughs> well, as we uh, wrap up here, I get to do the honor of kind of asking you the the final question on air um and i really love this one so uh what is one message that you have for any national treasure fans that are listening uh today to this conversation uh, i i um one message is and i i you know it's funny i i am just as much a fan and I watch the movie whenever I go somewhere and someone's watching it or they say it's on, I will watch it. And I just thoroughly love it. I still thoroughly love it. I think it's a brilliant movie. It did an incredible job. And for me, who's in it to believe and see and get carried away, I love it. I laugh at all the right bits. I get tense at all the right bits. I thoroughly enjoy it. I'm incredibly proud and and I do. I'm just as much a fan as everybody else, if not the one of the greatest fans because it means so much to me. I learned so much and I have so many more stories and it 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 created a a great career for me for the next 15 years after that. Um and I'm going I'm going to tell you that the, the moment I got the news that I won the audition, I was in a coffee shop in Hollywood. And back in those days, my cell phone wouldn't be able to call London. And I actually had uh, my uh, my American dream. I had a Harley and I had to go home to phone my mother to tell her the good news, which was and it was a, it was a drive. But if anyone was on Sunset Boulevard in L.A. on that day, they would have heard an Englishman driving a Harley Davidson going. Woo! 
all the way along Sunset Boulevard for miles. I was so high and happy. I got the call. They told me who I was going to be acting against. They told me how much I would make. They told me that it, who it was, who I was working with. And it was just like, oh my God, oh my God. And I got on my bike and I was just whooping all the way. I think I was crying and whooping. And so it's it's still, to me, just precious. It's very, very precious. And and I, I know from that, for it, for me to be that precious, I do, just from meeting people, how precious it is to them. It's very, very special, very proud. So oh. thank you for keeping it alive, everybody. And thank you for, you know, asking me because uh, it, it's it's a, an honor, all of it, um, to be part of it. And I do stay in contact with, um, with John. Uh, he's hysterical. He's funny. And I did have one of the other bad guys, I can't remember his bloody name, Stuart, um we 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 have remained very very close um and good friends so you know i uh it it's just it's just you you can't put a price on something like that it really was it, it changed my whole life and and it's still still very valuable so you know thank you thank you everybody well david I, I like have chills from that. Um, thank you so much for the generosity of your time and for all the stories that you shared with us. We know that our listeners are going to absolutely love hearing from you. So thank you so much. Okay. Don't, don't be scared to ask again. There's a lot more stories. <laughs> oh, you can bet we'll come back then because okay. we, all the stories, that's what we're here for. <laughs> all right. Okay. Emily, everything about that interview was the best thing that happened to me today. <gasps> oh, David, 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 David. What a lovely human being uh, you are, he is. And just, oh my goodness, so, so much information, so many like different perspectives on I feel like some things that we thought we knew a lot about uh we are just so honored to have had this opportunity and truly one of the things that impressed me most about this conversation and I mentioned it to him was how well he remembers some of these stories and when when asked about that the fact that he was like yeah I remember it because I'm so grateful for the experience really struck a chord with me you know yeah, because I mean, that's us. We're grateful for the experiences we're getting through doing this project. So totally. I mean, that was a highlight for me. Um, another one was crying, laughing at the bell story. And then <laughs> <laughs> also uh, when he was like reenacting himself screaming. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, Em, I really feel like you're going to have to dub the audio of him screaming into every future episode before we do our Screams from Parkington Lane segment, question mark? Ooh, I'll have to play around with that a little bit. We'll, we'll see. Seems like too good of an opportunity to miss. Well, how about you? Did you it's have true. any highlights? Um, Yeah, I mean, you know this because <laughs> I couldn't stop talking about it, but his, his national treasure hat, he literally, like, during the interview, was wearing a hat that he told us was given to the cast and crew of National Treasure. So it had, like, the National Treasure logo on it. And, like, I want 
that hat but like not a knockoff version like i want and clearly not the one that was on his head because he deserves to keep it but (laughs) i want like they had to have made too many of them right you know like how how do we get our hands on that disney if you're listening if you are going through your warehouses or your storage in the near future and you come across just two of these hats we would gladly provide you with our addresses to get our hands on them. Would not be the first time. No, it would not. <laughs> you already well, have them on file, Disney. I mean, hey. It's also true. Um, that being said, we just, in all seriousness, have to thank David once again for joining us, being so generous with his time and his memories. And we cannot wait for him to come back on the show for a follow-up chat. Oh, so excited. So if you like this episode and want to hear what more we have coming for you in this off season, go ahead and find us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. And please don't forget to both order our book and join our Patreon. That's it for this bonus episode, but as Emily just alluded to, you might expect to hear from us a little bit more in this off-season before the debut of National Treasure Hunt Season 7 this July, July 2023. So stay tuned for all that. But until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. (laughs) 